Good morning, Abundant Life. It is really good to see every one of you and nice to see the young people uh, both in action up at the top and also here. Um, I'm coming back from a three-week trip uh, to, to um, uh, Europe and then um, Israel and Middle East on business and then had the pleasure uh, of being at my dad's conference in India. Um, my dad, as you know, has spoken here and has planted about 100 churches over his 45 years uh, where the Lord is. Praise God. We give God the glory. Um, and um, and uh, those 100 churches, about 6,000 people uh, across all of them, about 1,500 of them come together about once a year. Many of the others can't afford to travel. Uh, but this year I was very fortunate to also have two friends that you might know. Can we bring up the picture? Um, I took a photograph of two friends I thought you might know uh, who were with me. These, uh, Brother Eric, this is his third time, I think, in India. So he's a pro. Uh, he, can, he can show people around Bangalore, no problem. But this was Brother Arshel's first time, and he braved it. Uh, he braved it. He really did well with all the, uh, with all the um, you know, jet lag and stuff like that. And the irony of the whole thing is this. See, most Westerners, when they go to India, they come back sick. And the Indian got sick and they were okay. okay? <laughs> I got a cold and, and I'm coming back out of a sore throat, but the Lord is... Uh, I am just delighted to be here and I'm just grateful. We had a great time there and we just got to see God's work in action. Very, very inspired by it. Um, and I have a, a little bit of that passion today as I share. And even though I'm recovering my voice... His grace is sufficient for me, and His power is made manifest through weakness. Isn't that true? Yes. When we're weak is the best time. So I told Brother John Gorn, hey, be on alert on Saturday afternoon. If my voice is not okay, you're going to have to take over. But, uh, you know, no, uh, uh, the Lord gave me strength this morning. So this morning, um, I want to share a message, because what we've been doing has been <clears throat> uh, talking about Nehemiah. Haven't Pastor John and Pastor Emmanuel done a great job the last several weeks? Can we give them a hand? And it's a very, very special... When I get to heaven, I want to go and jump up and meet this brother Nehemiah. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing pillar in, in, in the kingdom. And um, when you think about the land of Persia, Persia was the first world country at that time. So think of it if you were living today, it's the United States. Uh, the center of the financial capital or the center of everything that happened was that king that we read about, Artaxerxes, may have been the president of a modern big first world country. And the place where Nehemiah was living was either D.C. or Silicon Valley. If you think about it today, just think, you know, this happened thousands of years ago. But here was Nehemiah, and he wasn't a full-time pastor. He, wasn't work. He, was, he was a you and me person who worked a full-time 40, 50, 60 hours. He worked in the king's palace as the king's butler. So it was sort of almost the, first, the chief of staff. When you see these folks who are the chief of staff who give the, the announcements for the president, that was Nehemiah. So he had a full-time job, worked 40, 50, 60 hours. But his passion was not Persia. His passion was Jerusalem. And today we're going to talk about Jerusalem, which is a great picture of the church of God. And it's contrast to Babylon which is a great picture of everything commercial, everything the world seeks to glorify that unfortunately often seeps into the church. 
today. And I think that this is a word, I'm going to use this term, the abundant life faithful need to hear. Okay? When you think about the abundant life faithful, can I see a show of hands? How many of you have been at Abundant Life for less than five years, including the newcomers who've been here? Praise God for you. How many of you have been here for greater than five years, but less than ten years? Awesome. Praise God for you. How many of you have been here for greater than ten years, but less than fifteen years? I'm in that group. Okay, should I go forward? How many of you have been here for greater than twenty years? That is the real faithful, okay? Now, we give a hand to every one of you. We celebrate every one of them. But, here is the key thing. Whether you came in here for the first time, or whether you've been here for 20 years, it's not your attendance to this church, or your being with us through thick and thin. That's not the measure of faithfulness. Is your name of the book of life. Are you faithful in your hidden life? where no one's watching. You could come here every Sunday and you could be living a different type of life during the week. Church is not what happens Saturday night or Sunday morning. It's what happens on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, often when none of us are looking. Right? So the, the great equalizer is whether you've been here 20 years or if you've come here for the first time, your message today is relevant to every one of you. So for your abundant life faithful, that's everyone who's walked in for the first time, you've been here 20 years, this message is for you. Because if you think about Nehemiah, the thing about him that just fills me with inspiration was he was in a job, his passion was for God's people, he cared with a great yearning when he heard that Jerusalem was in tatters, that the church was in tatters, and he spent, told us the king he'd like to leave, we heard all about that, and then he went to Jerusalem, and over the course of 52 days, as we heard, I'm giving you a quick summary, if you missed the last few uh, Sundays or you were falling asleep. I'm giving you a quick summary of what happened the last few weeks. 52 days, they rebuilt the wall. What it took 90 years, many of them had come together in those years of exile, 52 days. And as it, you read in those um, um, chapters in Nehemiah 1 through 4, especially in chapter 4, it has a picture of person to person to person. They were building these walls of Jerusalem. And the person that says there was no gap, it's a beautiful picture of what the church should be like, where every single one of you, five, six hundred here, perhaps, uh, need to be person to person. It says from their home all the way to the wall, there was no gap. This was brother, this was sister, husband, wife, child, were in this together because they saw it as part of their obligation to build the walls of Jerusalem. And there's a, there's a verse um, in Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 2, so actually uh, John chapter 2, that talks about Jesus when he got to the temple, John chapter 2 verse 13 to 17, we all know the story very well. The Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords. I can imagine Jesus doing this, just making a scourge of cords. And he drove them out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers, and overturned their tables, and those who were selling the doves. And he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business, or Matthew translates, a den of thieves. And then his disciples remembered, it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. 
And that's the message, brothers and sisters, for the abundant life faithful. Zeal for God's house needs to consume us. And that's why you're all equal. Whether you've come here for the first time, whether you've been here 20 years, the most important thing is zeal for your house. So what is your house? Ask yourself, what is when you say zeal for your house? Is it just physically? There's certainly not this building. Okay, is it just the body? There are three descriptors I want to talk about, which are first the house. First off, we know our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So our first house is ourselves. And the walk we have before the Lord, where no one sees, it's your thought life. It's your action life. It's how you react in an adverse circumstance when you're irritated at work. No one watches you. No one here knows that. Maybe some of your people know it. You're tempted to look a certain way at the opposite sex, for example. All of these things are your personal house. And it's important we have our house be a temple of the Holy Spirit. The second house is our family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I have that, that verse in our dining room, and I often invite some of my colleagues at work, um, some, many of whom are not Christian. We have, we'll have dinner often sometimes at my home, and I know that verse speaks to them. It does. Sometimes the verse is all you need to be a witness. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It sits right there. It's in full display. Some people have this at the entrance of their door. Make it your mission, brothers and sisters. If you have a family, if you have a husband and wife, you have children, your second obligation is to make sure your house, your house where your personal house, before we even get to the Lord's work. And the third house is the house of the Lord. And when we can make all three of those houses places where the zeal consumes us, uh, we can have a happy life. That's what Jesus had. He had a, we talked about the fact that the oil of gladness was always on Jesus because he had um, that hatred for sin and love, love for righteousness. So when we think about this zeal for the house, now I'm going to talk mostly about Jerusalem, but I'm going to assume that every one of you, now it's much, uh, just more important in fact, before you serve in the body, that your personal house and your family house is in order. Uh, I often, as I'm um, you know, talking to other brothers and sisters and folks want to help in the church, and they feel like they've got obligations at home or they've got things they've got to attend to home. I say, listen, your family comes first. Don't serve in the body of Christ here if your family needs more of your time or if you've got to set things right in your own house. But let's assume that those two are in order. Uh, you see a repeated reference in the Bible to Jerusalem versus Babylon. And I want to contrast for you these two very important pictures that show up in Revelation. Very important that we see the, the stark difference between Jerusalem and Babylon for the abundant life faithful. So let's look at a few verses. And as I read these verses, uh, for good or for bad, something in my DNA loves the Bible. Okay? So I quote a lot of scripture. Uh, if you don't, um, uh, if you have your Bible, uh, you know, read them. If not, take them. Uh, take a note down and please look at them because it's good that we, this is the most authentic book that we need in the Bible. No amount of psychology can match what's in this book. Okay? So we, we can't read enough of this. And one day, maybe, you know, if we get persecuted if you, as the first century Christians or many Christians in China or parts of India or Russia, this book's taken away from them. And then we will have to remember what the, what the scripture is in our minds. Okay, Hebrews 12.22. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. One reference again. 
There's hundreds of references of Jerusalem. I think I added up like 750 plus, 780 actually, and many of them. But as you get closer and closer to the end of the Bible, you see the description of Jerusalem being a, a picture of the new church. Revelation 3 verse 12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which come down, comes down from heaven, my God, my new name. And then Revelation 21 verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down of, of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And this is the picture of purity. And I love the fact that the first, one of the first Sundays this year, we're almost at the end of the year, but I remember one of the first Sundays this year, Brother Keith talked about God's calling for the remnant here to be the bride of Christ, to be pure, to be that remnant that's called uh, being adorned for the husband. That is what the Lord is doing in these last days. And you'll see in a picture in a little bit a contrast to Babylon, which we'll talk about. Here is the pictures of Babylon. You'll read in Revelation 14. Revelation 14, verse 8. Another angel, a second one fallen, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And then later on, Revelation 17, verse 1, talks about the doom of Babylon. One of the seven angels who with seven bowls came and said, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. And a little further in 17 verse 5, And her, on her forehead the name was written, Babylon the great, the mother of harlots, and of the abomination of the earth. A little further, just keep reading down. Revelation 18 verse 1. After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with her glory. Verse 2. He cried over the mighty voice and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place of demons and the, priest, the prison of unclean spirits and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. Verse 9, And the kings of the earth who lamented and committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see smoke of her burning. Verse 10, Standing at a distance because the fear of her torment, woe, woe is the great city of Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And finally, verse 21. A strong angel took up a stone like a grain millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence. It will not be found any longer. So we read these scriptures, and many of us who study the book of Revelation, we think, well, that's about describing the world or what's going to happen to the end times. And the sad thing is today, when you look at what Babylon is, we should go back and look at what is the origins of that word Babylon and where it first was referred to. It's sadly become today part of a commercial system that has actually crept its way or is creeping away in the church. And God's um, calling for all of us faithful is that he separates Jerusalem from Babylon, that he sanctifies a remnant that's faithful until he comes. That's my passion for every brother and sister here, young or old. And especially for those of you who are young, who are in your teenage years, in your 20s, in your 30s, it's not clear to the Lord that another generation may pass. This may be the last generation before Jesus comes. I pray that every one of you, as you hear today, that you will seek to be part of that new Jerusalem. So actually, let's go and look at the first description of where this term Babylon started. We begin to see 
the roots of this distinction between Babylon and Jerusalem. The system that ultimately you see is destroyed in Revelation uh, 17 and 18 and the church that's a shining example that's preserved. In Genesis 11, we all know the story very well. Genesis 11, verse 4, this is the first roots, okay, first places where you see the spirit of Babylon starting to appear um, um, among the Israelites. They said, come, Genesis 11, verse 4, they said, come and let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise we will be scattered over the world. This is the tower of Babel from which Babylon comes. So everything that sets itself up to make a name for itself. That seeks to ascend itself up to heaven. As opposed to the spirit of Christ which is always about humility. Humility, humility, humility. So the first contrast, I've put a few contrasts here. We're going to talk about seven different contrasts. Seven's a good, perfect number. Um, and uh, hopefully ones that you can remember. The first contrast here between Babylon and Jerusalem is Babylon is all about man's plan. What can I do to create a name for myself? And Jerusalem is all about God's plan, right? You see so much of the world is all about planning. You know, I live in a corporate world. There's plenty of human planning that goes into it. But we in the church have to understand that everything God does is not about our humanness. In fact, all of the world's greatest ideas mean nothing in the kingdom of God. If it was the case, Jesus would not have come in a manger, right? He would have come in the palace, he would have come in the center places where he didn't. So every single place you see in the New Testament, should Jesus have picked up the 11 disciples that we thought of? No, they were fishermen. He would have picked up the most qualified people, and if you did, you would have picked up people who were Pharisees. Because they were the most qualified. They'd gone to Bible school. But he picked up fishermen. So God's plan is so diametrically, or you know, heaven as heaven is to earth, God's plan is from man's plan. But then we see this going further. Let's give you another example of Babylon as we look uh, at the, New, the Old Testament. In Daniel 4 verse 30, we all know the story. Wonderful, another great example of a pillar in the, in the kingdom that I want to meet when I get to heaven, Brother Daniel. But here he is being a, a, a witness, one without compromise. And King Nebuchadnezzar, who quite frankly was actually getting influenced to this God of the Israelites, for a moment, begins to get pride into his head. And in Daniel 4, verse 30, you read these really sorry words about this king. The king was walking on his top of his palace garden. So imagine something the Lord had blessed him with, something had grown. Babylon was at that point in time. He did not recognize that everything that God had given him was not his own. But he was reflecting, and he said, Is this not Babylon the Great? which I myself have built with the royal resident by the might of my power and the glory of my majesty. And we know the rest of the story, right? Immediately, Nebuchadnezzar was reduced to like a cow. He was eating cattle. They say he was eating grass. And then 
The next thing we know, he repented and said, Lord, only you are worthy. I give you all the glory. So everything about Babylon, the second thing here, in contrast, is it's about man's power and glory. And again, we see this in the world all the time. Right? The corporate system is all about man's plan, man's power and glory. But sadly, it starts to enter the church. And this is what we've got to stay sanctified from. The Lord preserves a Jerusalem versus a Babylon, because Babylon's going to go the way of, of Revelation as we read. And the, the power and glory of God is manifest in the church through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through the power of human endeavor. And the power of the Holy Spirit is mysterious. It's so mysterious. It can fill a person and change them overnight. Think about Peter. We've been studying in our home uh, growth group the last few chapters of Matthew. And it, it, it amazes me that, that Peter, here's this person who denied Jesus three times, You'd have thought that's the worst of things that could have happened. And then he repents, he weeps bitterly. And then Jesus tells, when he's risen, go and tell the disciples and Peter. And Peter. He could have said he was one of the disciples. But encouraging him. And then Peter transformed on the day of Pentecost. We studied Acts. Here's a different man. Same story. Judas Iscariot comes in. You know, as we know, sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Immediately feels remorse. Thereafter, goes back to the chief priest and says, listen, I've sinned. He actually says, I've sinned. I've sinned. I've committed innocent blood. And sheds the, 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 and then goes out and hangs himself. Chooses not to repent. So, the power of God in, in the Jerusalem versus Babylon is made through the Holy Spirit. Okay, number three. This is a beautiful picture in Nehemiah. The whole picture of Nehemiah was him building the walls of, of Jerusalem to be high. In Babylon, the walls of, are low. Anybody can come in. It's all right. No problem. We'll keep the standards low. Okay. I don't like this description, seeker friendly. It's not that we should not be, um, be in a place where we're witness. But if being seeker friendly means that we've lowered the standards of the church... But we're not willing to preach something at this church. Okay, then we're seeking man as opposed to God's approval. Right? We want everybody here. I want abundant life. I want all of us to be a magnet. You know what the thing about a magnet is? You don't have to be very far away from a magnet before it tracks things in. Right? You've seen this from... And the more powerful a magnet is, the more it attracts people in. So if every seat here that's empty is going to be filled in, it's going to be filled... Because there is a purity about abundant life. There's a power that attracts people to say, listen, we want to be part of this new Jerusalem. We're not just coming into any place because the walls are low. Now you have to kind of go, like I said, I was blessed to go to, to Israel on my way back to India. And I did this with my brother. So I want to show you a couple of pictures of the walls of Jerusalem. Many of you have seen this, but I have a couple of uh, pictures here. I think the first one is a picture of me and my brother, Sandeep, there. And you can see how tall the walls of Jerusalem are. Okay? If you go to the next chart, we actually climbed up to the top of the walls of Jerusalem. And that's how high. You can see how high up we are. So the walls of Jerusalem are high because they're setting a standard for how... Um, but the walls of, of Babylon are low. And part of what you see 
again and again in Nehemiah was his passion to build the walls of, of, um, of Jerusalem to be high. There's another great picture in Zechariah chapter 2 verse 5 where it talks about, uh, I, for I declare the Lord will be a wall of fire around her, the church, and I will be a glory in her midst. So my prayer for, for your individual lives, that's the first house, second house is your home, third house is this church, is that the wall, that the, the, the Lord will be a wall of fire around you, protecting your home from the wiles of the evil one. In many eastern countries, they actually sleep around a wall of fire to protect wild animals from coming in. Okay? And uh, that's the protection that this church can be for every one of your children. I pray that all of our children can know that this is the safest place they can be. And if we're a stumbling block to our children, shame on us, right? But the church needs to be the place where every one of our children can feel like this is safe. Um, and this can be a place where many in the world can also come in as a result. Number four, Babylon glorifies itself in numbers. It's all about quantity. It's all about size. The commercial world is all about size. It's called revenue. It's called building something that's big, a big brand. And you know, the, the, we've talked about this bef- before. John chapter 6, there's nothing wrong with a large gathering. We, uh, we see that happening in Acts chapter 2, where um, 3,000 were uh, completely transformed by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But we also see in John chapter 6, it's not popular often when you want to preach high standards to keep the walls high. What happens in John chapter 6? At the beginning of that chapter, we all know this very well, there are 5,000, it says 5,000 men, if you count their wives, maybe, and children, maybe there was... 11,000, 12,000 people. They all wanted to be fed the food and the fish, the bread and the fish. And then what happens at the end of the chapter? 11 are left. Jesus says, do you also want to leave me? I call it the grand dissolution, dissolving of the megachurch. Right? Tens of thousands. But when it comes down to actually following Jesus, few want to follow him. So it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm praying that the Lord will certainly bring all that, that care about following him into our midst. But we've got to stand for purity, brothers and sisters. And when we do, whether it's 11 or 12, and actually of the 12, there's only 11, or 3,000, that's in God's determination. Completely in God's determination. Amen? Amen. And, and the Jerusalem picture is one where the focus is on quality. It's on purity. It's on obedience. Okay, number five. Babylon is all about the flashiness of the outside. What does it look like? Right? That's what's rewarded in the world. What you look like. Maybe it's your intellect. Or maybe it's your looks. That's what the world values. Jerusalem is about holiness of the inward. I shared this on the uh, September uh, day when we had our uh, sort of vision service, and I showed these two pictures, and so we can put it up again. Here's the picture of a cup that, as you see on the outside, man looks, we go two, two, uh, two charts here, man looks at the outward appearance. This was Samuel when he was looking at all of the various different possibilities for the next king after Saul. And one by one, all of Jesse's children are coming in. And God told him, man looks at the outward appearance, 
but God looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Because we go to the next chart. This is what might be inside that cup. Right? And Jesus says, listen, you Pharisees, you're fooling people thinking everything is, is looking good, but when you look inside the cup, you know, this is the message translation. You stupid Pharisees, clean what is inside the cup. So the focus of Jerusalem is the inside of the cup. It's in the inside of the cup. And listen, the outside of the cup will automatically, because Jesus has told us, may your righteousness be better than that of the scribes and Pharisees. But the inside of the cup, no one watches. And this can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit, because nobody knows that except you. Number six, Babylon is all about money, money, money. Right? That's the world system. Again, we're talking about the commercial system, Babylon, that enters the church and ultimately in Revelation is destroyed. And that's the sad thing. Today, especially in the Western world, it's become so much about money. It's about raising money. It's about collecting money. It's about the size of, of the budget and so on and so forth. And the emphasis in the New Testament in, in, in Jerusalem is living as a sacrifice. The Lord will provide every one of our needs. And this is often, we see this often in many, uh, when you go to Eastern countries, whether it's in India or China or Africa, you see some of the humblest, poorest Christians are happy. And then you see many, when, often when you look at what happens in the West, we have made Christianity so much about commercialism. And probably this time of the year, as we know, coming up on Christmas, it gets acutely bad, right? Because it's so much about commercialism. I heard this comical story about three kids who were coming back after the Christmas holiday, and the teacher asked them in the first week of January, well, what did you do on Christmas Day or you know, around Christmas Eve? And the Catholics said, well, we um, opened our presents and then we went to midnight mass. The Protestant person said, well, we opened up, we went to carol singing and then we came back and opened our presents. And the atheist said, you know, we don't believe in God. But our father took us to our store um, and we saw all the, em- on Christmas Day, and we saw all the empty shelves of toys and gifts and we all held, sa- held hands and sang, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our toys and gifts his people bear. Bye. That's unfortunately what's happened today. Commercialism has taken over even something like remembering of the birth of Christ. So what we've got to stand for, church, is one where we are a stark contrast. You've got to go back to those roots of the first century church where it was poor often. One of the things that's so amazing to me about what the Lord has done in abundant life over the last 20, 25 years is there is no socioeconomic barrier here in this church. Whether it was young or whether it's old, any ethnicity, rich or poor, okay, God's doing a work here and I pray that that will continue. And finally, number seven, often a big part of the spirit of Babylon is connectedness to politics, trying to be part of a political system. Do you have connections to the powers that be? That's how the world operates, right? And, you know, in Jerusalem, the new church, 
we seek to pray. As we know in 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 and 2 it says, I urge every one of you brothers and sisters to petitions and thanksgivings be given on behalf of all men for kings and all our authority that made so that we may live a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So if you know somebody in influence and power, that's good. God bless you. But our, our goal should not be trying to find our way to be connected into the political system because we think that that's where we find our, our solace and our comfort and our security. Everything that's of this world is going to, to disappear. So abundant life faithful. These are the seven things that the Lord can use as lessons from Nehemiah. What did Nehemiah do? He was building the walls of Jerusalem. And I hope as we read this story of Nehemiah, it wasn't just an academic story, inspired us about building a church. He was building Jerusalem. And I felt the Lord stirring in my heart to share with you what is that true picture of Jerusalem today? Because the Lord is saving a remnant in this last generation. I really believe the time in the Lord. We don't know when the coming of the Lord is. But all indications are we are in those end times. But whether it's my generation or the next generation, I pray that every brother and sister here, whether you've been here for the first time or whether you've been here 20 years, that our calling will be to be the bride of Christ who comes back. Where we've stayed faithful, where we've stayed away from all of the influences of Babylon and we stayed pure. So but before we pray, I want you to, I've got a, um, a little you know, question here I want every one of you to answer. And if you have a piece of paper, you can write that. We didn't pass around index cards, but many of you have a piece of paper in front of you or you probably have a smartphone. Pull up your smartphone and don't bring up Facebook or anything, but write a note, write a note to yourself and, and ask the Lord from one thing that you have heard today. There's seven that I contrasted, Jerusalem versus Babylon. Maybe there's one thing of the seven Finding glory in God's plan versus man's plan. Finding glory in God's power rather than man's power. Keeping the walls of your home uh, or your life or this church high as opposed to lowering them. Focusing on the inside rather than the flashiness of the outside. Focusing not on all of the external manifestations, size, whether it's money or politics but on the sacrifice of the heart. Maybe there's one thing that the Lord spoke to you today. Write it down uh, and reflect on it during the week because the Lord can use this. And I believe that every brother and sister here, our calling is to, as we enter into 2016, our best days are yet ahead of us uh, if we're willing to stay faithful to that new Jerusalem. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the amazing way, Lord, in which you brought our paths together. So many of us have come from different parts of the world, um, and you've allowed us, Lord, to be part of this body of Christ here in Silicon Valley and Mountain View. And we didn't arrange this, Lord. You allowed our paths to cross in a in a supernatural way. And I pray for every brother and sister that I've had the joy of getting to know over the last several years and 15 years that I've been here, Lord, 
and for every other brother and sister, where they've come here in the last five years, 10, 15, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that something that they heard today would take root on fertile soil and you would do a deeper work in our midst, in our church. Make us more connected to the head, Lord. That's the only thing that matters in these last days, Lord. There's so much that's happening that's falling away in Christendom. We want to be pure as a bride of Christ. We don't want to judge anybody else. We want to really, Lord, be, whether it's our individual lives, our families, our church, Lord, we want to be on fire for you. Protect our families, Lord. Protect the children in our church. Protect them from so much that the evil one seeks to do to distract them and take them away. And I pray that the next generation would be doubly on fire for you, Lord. In this time where so much, Lord, is distracting and taken away. We live in the Silicon Valley that is full of distractions, full of things that want to take away because it's focused on the intellect or the wallet. I pray that you will save a remnant, Lord. That every brother and sister here will be gripped. Gripped, Lord, in a special way. Thank you for everything that you're doing. I want to thank you, Lord, for every brother and sister that volunteers, for all our pastors and our staff. Uh, Lord, and I thank you for the faithful who have been here through the many, many years. I know your hand is on this church, Lord. Your hand is on this church. And I pray that every brother and sister here would be a shining example. And you would use this church as a magnet, Lord. As a magnet to fill to God's will, the empty seats here with those who seek to have that higher life, Lord. Not just satisfied with any kind of superficiality, that we'd enter into that deeper, deeper life with you. We know we hear your prayer, because your power is manifest to us in our weakness, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.